Good morning. It's good to see all of y'all out this morning. I think you look better this week than you did last week. Fine looking group. Any of y'all watch Andy Griffith? I used to love it when Andy would say, fine, fine, fine. But y'all look fine today. I'm glad you're here. Um, Before we begin our class, I'd like to start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you once again for this place that we have of comfort and safety to gather to study another portion of your word. We pray that we will try to clear our minds of the things that of this world that may be worrying us and bothering us. And we pray that we will read your word and we pray that as you speak to us through your word, that it will strengthen us. The spiritual food will make us stronger. It will draw us closer together. And as a group of your believers, we pray that your will will be done, the gospel will be spread, and then we can teach the world that, that your son is the true way, the hope of our life. We pray that you be with those that are sick. We pray that you be with those who are caring for the sick. We ask you to forgive us of our sins as we repent of them. And we pray that tomorrow we will be better servants of yours. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. I was going to ask the question last week, and it it slipped my mind as many things do, but uh, I know there's some folks in here that... um, How many of you consider 1 Samuel your favorite book of the Bible. Perfect. <laughs> Robert, we got our work cut out for us. so That's okay. That's fine. There's a lot that we can glean from it. Last week we got down to where God had spoke to Samuel. So we're going to pick up right there and we're going to try to get through chapter 4 and 5 if possible. But don't let that keep you from raising your hand and making comments and discussion. If, if we don't get through it, that's okay. Because we, we learn so much from each other's discussion and the things that we glean from the scriptures. Okay. God told Samuel what was going to happen to Eli and his two sons. In verse 13, For I have told him, all that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew. The question is why, in verse 13, his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Some translations here where it says rebuke will say restrain. And done some more meditation on this and study, if, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 8 through 13, and the same in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 9, Eli, this was a very tough situation for Eli, um, and the point that Harold made last week, the people had noticed of the iniquity that was going on and had brought it to Eli's attention. Eli talked to his sons. He rebuked them. 
but he did not restrain them. Uh, if you go all back to the, the priest, when things were brought to them, they were to judge and to make calls on what was how it was to be handled. This was a unique situation because the two priests who were supposed to be the ones who were actually the ones making the judgments were the ones who were sinning. They were doing things the wrong way. And also, this was his sons. So you kind of put yourself in Eli's shoes. The priest actually had the ability to make the call for death if they continued to rebel against God and to go against his commandments. It's kind of tough to think that, that Eli was put in this situation. He has the people in this ear telling him, hey, these, these guys are not following God's word. And Eli probably knew. And then shortly after this, the, the man of God comes to Eli and warns him. He gives him the prophecy of what's going to happen if. And then shortly after this, Samuel receives the message from God, but he lays back down until morning. Samuel goes about his normal morning. He opens the doors to the house of the Lord. Samuel is afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had told him. Samuel realized that the message had been given to Eli about his son's disobedience and disrespect for the priestly duties. Samuel had probably witnessed the wicked actions of Eli's sons. So he's told, Samuel is told that he has already told Eli. So why, why do you suppose Samuel is afraid to approach Eli about this? Because God told him, I have told him. Why would you think that Samuel was afraid to talk to Eli about this? Okay, it's, it's not good news. Anyone else? Right? And Eli has, has, has uh, or Samuel has witnessed all of this, and Eli had the warning, and now it's come down to something's going to happen. So, you know, and then you got to put yourself in uh, Samuel's position. Eli is his mentor. You know, he's the one who's been directing him, training him, and now he's he's got this news that he's going to have to tell Eli. It had to be hard. You know, it, it's the same way with Eli having to correct his sons and to follow what God had, had told him to do. And also, this, this kind of plays into later on in, in 1 Samuel in chapter 15, um, where it, as we progress through the book, we'll see this. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. So the next morning, Eli calls Samuel to him and asks Samuel, What is the word that God spoke to you? What was Eli's response to what God said to Samuel? 
It is the Lord. I let him do what seems to be good to him. Now, Eli receives this word, but it's kind of, you, you can see the respect from Eli that he had this warning from the man of God, and now he's also talked to Samuel. Samuel's come to him, but yet he says, let God do as he wills. He's submitting himself to God and, and God's will, even though he probably realizes that, that I did not follow through with what I should have. But yet he is still, he's not, he's not rebelling. He's accepting his lack of doing what he needed to do. He's still submitting to God. Verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall. In verse 20, all of Israel knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Would this be the last time that God would receive, would reveal himself to Samuel? Would this be the last time? No, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And another thing that came to my mind when I was studying about this was, what a message to receive as a young prophet. The first message from God, just, just the overwhelming experience of God coming to you and talking to you, but yet the message that he received and the message that he was going to have to deliver as a young man, boy, whatever, you know, whatever age he was, whatever age, I know I try to put myself in the story if I received this and I was having to deliver it, it would be hard. It, it would be so hard. And I think that's another reason why maybe uh, Samuel probably kind of, he was so overwhelmed with the situation that, that he, he did the best he could with it. He just tried to go about his normal business at the, at the uh, house of God without going straight to Eli. But Eli knew what was going on. Okay. Right. 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 And back to Eli and his sons, it, it seems that um, they were of the age that Eli probably felt like it was, it was too late. And that, that's where it went back to what my point earlier was. He, that's when it comes into an action of restraint instead of rebuke, which would have been very hard for him, being those were his sons. You know. So, Danny, you... Right. Which the point Harold made last week, you know, the, they had approached him, too, of, of what was going on, you know, the, the people, so... It, yeah, it had been a tough call to make. All right, let's move on. Um, chapter 4. Chapter 4 starts out telling us that Samuel then relayed God's word to all of Israel. In chapter 4, the story shifts gears. The Philistines camped in Apec go to battle with, with the Israelites. The Israelites are defeated and lose 4,000 men in this battle with the Israelites. 
when those who survived came back into the camp, the elders of Israel could not understand why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines. Okay. Totally different, totally different scenery in chapter 4. Questions or comments about the introduction? Right. Right. But that, that goes back to show that he had the ability or the charge, according to Levitical law, to put them to death. He did not. Uh, it, it'd be hard. I mean, you, you put yourself in his shoes, and you're a judge, you're a priest, and, and then it verifies, too, the decisions we make and what we base them on. Are we following God's will? Or are we just hoping that maybe it'll go away and it'll get better on its own, you know, Brother Lentz? Well, I think we'll, we'll see some more of that later when we see what happens to him that may play into exactly what you're saying. Good point. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. All right, so... They go to battle with the Philistines, and immediately 4,000 men are lost in battle. 4,000. Just think about that. That's, that's a lot of folks just wiped out all at once. And then in verse 3, notice their response. Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. As we go on, the Israelites bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the Host who sits above the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas are with the Ark. The Ark had been located in Shiloh for many, many years. Um, I'm going to stop there because I can make a couple points. Notice in, in, in their wording, let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. Okay? All right. Anyone else? Let's read on. When the ark entered the camp at Ebenezer, the Israelites responded with a great shout, so loud that the earth resounded. This shout was so loud it was heard in the camp of the Philistines. They were questioning each other, what does this great noise mean? How did they find out about the ark entering the camp? How do you suppose they found this out? What was, what was generally uh, the means of finding out things back in those days? What, what happened for the land of Canaan? At, okay. Okay, but they generally, both sides would send spies out to spy out what the other one was doing so they, would, they could plan their next move. So they hear this, and they're like, we've we got to find this out. So they, they find out that the ark has actually entered their camp. What was the reaction of the Philistines knowing that the ark of God had entered the Israelites' camp? Woe to us. Woe to us. Right. 
Right. Yes. And they they most likely didn't have a historical uh, record or library. It was handed down generation to generation of this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. And it carried on all these years. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it goes back. I keep bringing Harold's comment up last week about the people knew this. Because they brought it to Eli first. So here you got, they're going into battle, but still they're, they're still relying on this physical thing. Right, right. It, it, it's almost back to they were, the ark was an idol. You know, the ark was nothing without God. The ark was not anything without God and his presence being there. And without their obedience, you know, God was not going to be there for them without their obedience. Okay, let's let's move on. And as if if you notice, um, when they talk about the what had happened to the Egyptians and the plagues in the wilderness, it seems here that they're giving. The way I'm reading it, they talk about gods, lowercase g. And then instead of one God, the Almighty God, capital G. So it's almost like, and, and I think this will play into uh, some later lessons with the uh, tumors and things that come at a later in our study, but it's it's like they're attaching each plague was a different god in, in some sense. They they wasn't they still wasn't acknowledging that the ark there was one God almighty. You know, they, they knew there was power there and they had heard all these stories, but it seems like they were still not seeing it as this is God Almighty. Who was in control of everything? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Verse nine. Here we see the Philistines, and they—they're all scared. Woe is me! They rally themselves because they do not want to be slaves to the Hebrews. Be men and fight. So verse 10, so the Philistines defeated Israel in the battle. 30,000 foot soldiers were lost. The ark of God is captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed. Then a man from Benjamin ran to the battle line back to Shiloh. He came to Shiloh and told what had happened. The people of the city cried out. Eli was anxiously waiting for what had happened, to hear what had happened. Note in verse 13, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. Eli asked, what does this sound of this outcry mean? Then the Benjamite told Eli what had taken place. And at this time, Eli was 98 years old. The messenger told Eli, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great slaughter. Your two sons have died and the ark of God has been captured. Let's stop right there. 
Now, 30,000. What's the population of Bowling Green now? Okay, so just let's, just for comparison, half the population of Bowling Green between the first 4,000 and then the 30,000. Just try to think about that. That's a big loss. Even when you go back and compare it to the numbers of the Israelites in that day, that's a just a huge loss. So they've, they must be devastated. And as we go on here, I want you to notice this. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark. Eli fell off his seat backwards by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. What do you get out of that right there? What, what triggered him? There was, there was two major things that happened there. His sons were killed. The ark was captured. What, what was he more concerned about? Okay, the ark. So he, he already knew what was going to happen. God had told him. The man of God had told him. He had got the... Uh, the prophecy from Samuel that God had told him firsthand. He knew this was going to happen, but the Ark of the Covenant being being captured was was huge. I mean, that's and I think it's it's, it's really neat how they how it's worded there that he can okay my sons are dead I, I was expecting that but the Ark that that was what pushed him over the edge. Um, and back to, I forget who made the comment about, I think his brother Lentz, about Eli may have been partaking in part of this. Was that Chuck or Brother Lentz? Whichever. Back to this, Eli was, was very heavy. Now, he was old, and he probably didn't get around as well as he used to. He was pretty much blind. But I think that's a clue. You know, he was he was heavy. So... It, it could be a, a clue that he was partaking in all this extra uh, eating of the sacrifices outside of what God had prescribed. You know, who knows? That's just just a thought. Questions or comments? All right. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Good point. Something else that generates another thought in my mind is what did God instruct the Israelites to do when they went into the land? Okay, they were supposed to drive them out. Did they do that? Not, not totally. So here years and years later, they're seeing the results of, again, not doing what God had uh, told them to do. So, all right. All right. Okay, well, let's, let's move on. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas, Phineas' his wife, was pregnant and about to give birth. And when she heard the news of the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she kneeled down and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not be afraid. You have given birth to a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. 
And she called the boy Ichabod, saying that the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God is taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband, she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God was taken. All right, so she was so distressed, she gave birth, and she died in the process. And, of course, the name named her son because of the glory of the Lord had departed, for the ark of God was taken. So, okay. All right, let's move on to chapter 5. The ark is captured and taken from Ebenezer to Ashdod, where they placed it in the house of Dagon. Now the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it and and set it by Dagon. When the Ashdodites arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on the face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him in his place again. But when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Therefore neither the priest of Dagon nor all who entered Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. Now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites, and he ravaged them and smote them with tumors, both Ashdod and its, and its territories. When the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of God of Israel must, must not remain with us, for his hand is severe on us, on Dagon our God. Let's stop right there. So they capture the ark and they take it. Now I want to kind of get in our heads too about the ark and its travel. Um, The research that I did, uh, the ark had been in Shiloh for several years. Uh, I found numbers from 300 to 368 years. So, you know, archaeology and all that kind of stuff but the point is it had been in that spot for a long long time it had not been moved so this was a big deal when they moved it from Shiloh to Ebenezer and then it's moved several times as, as we'll read as, as we keep going um, just some just some questions of, of past lessons who was to move the ark? The priest? Okay. How were they to move it? Okay. They had poles that was permanently inserted. Where did they carry it? How did they carry it? Okay, on their shoulders. So, you know, you sit and wonder too, when, when we talk about this, we're going to see how many times that this was moved. And, and we remember what story jumps out to most of us when we talk about moving the ark? Uzzah. What happened? Okay. And not only that, but um, where was it when he touched it? It was on a cart. 
So, first of all, it, it was on a cart. It wasn't supposed to be on a cart. It was supposed to be carried by the, the Levites with poles on their shoulders. So, now we see, and it doesn't record any of this of how, and maybe this is another one of those things, I'm, I'm going to just speculate that it was not moved all these times. It was moved from Shiloh to Ebenezer, from Ebenezer to Ashdod, Ashdod to Gath, and Gath to Ekron. Do you think every time that it was moved, it was moved the way it was supposed to be moved? And, you know, it, you, you sit and wonder, too, God put Uzzah to death just because he touched it, and Uzzah was trying to do something good. He just didn't want it to fall off the cart. It wasn't like he was just rebellious and was wanting to go against God's will, but there's a lesson in that. But then again, you see all this, and you're like, well, okay, they moved this ark how many times? And it was being moved by the enemy. Did God just kind of allow that? Just like, you know, we we talk about, uh, we bring up polygamy in the Old Testament. God allowed it but it, it really wasn't intended. So it's just something to think about. When you read this, these stories, you're like, when you put yourself into that story, you're thinking, okay, God told people to do it this way, and did they do it that way? There's so many, so many things that bring out thoughts in these stories. So question or comments? What movie do you think about when, you, when the ark's mentioned? Okay, there you go again. It's it's kind of neat. But Hollywood didn't do it justice either. You know, really, they didn't. Um, so, we'll move on. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines to them and said, What shall we do with the ark, the God of Israel? And they said, Let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. And they brought the ark of God of Israel around. After they had brought it around, and they had the Lord, and that the Lord was against the city with very great confusion, and he smote the man, the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron, and as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it return to its own place so that it will not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly confusion throughout the city and the hand of God was very heavy, was very heavy there and the men who did not die were smitten with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Not a good sight. Not a good sight. They had brought the ark in, and all these things were happening, and everybody all of a sudden, you know, at first they wanted the ark. They're like, and then part of, part of um, some of the research where I was reading was, um, when the ark was captured, it wasn't, speculation is that it wasn't that they were going to gain the power, but yet they put it before Dagon 
as kind of a sacrifice, as lowering the power of God, and their God was going to be higher. A, a trophy, just like, you know, when you capture in war, they will take the enemy's flag and display it as, hey, we've defeated you. This is, this is, this is what we've done. And then another thing, too, is like all the things that happened to the, to the god, uh, Dagon, all the things that, uh, that took place, God made a point there that he, he allowed the Israelites to be defeated, but then his kind of presence of, his, of the ark was moved in to where their god was. God made a point here. The Israelites were separated from the ark, but yet God was going to make a point that he's still God, and, and he's, he's going to show it in a different way. So when you, when you think about all the things that happened with their God, God was not going to allow that. He was still going to be God, and it was still going to be a lesson and then they end up moving it so many times because it was, it was just terrible what was happening to them. Questions or comments? Right. Um, some good reading on your own about the ark. I'll just, if you're taking notes. Um, Numbers 3, 31. 1 Chronicles 15, chapter 15 and verse 2. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 14. And then the actual construction, the design of the ark, Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. There's some very good reading where it talks about uh, the construction of the ark and its, its specifications. Somebody mentioned nobody knows where the ark is. Uh, there's actually an ark here in this building. I, I don't know if any of y'all know that, but uh, we've not been able to find it, though, for about, I don't know, five or six years, but it's here, I promise you. But now we've, uh, one year we did a, a VBS on the tabernacle, and we actually made uh, replicas to the best of our knowledge of all the articles that were in the tabernacle. So I think it's upstairs, maybe, in one of the rooms. I'm not sure. I haven't been up there for a while. But if you would like to see a the best of our abilities, replicas of some of this stuff, you're, you're more than welcome to venture up there and see if you can find it. You know, you can be like Indiana Jones. You know, you, you can take an adventure. So Just don't touch it. Just don't touch it. And there's poles. There's poles to move it. So if we ever need to move it, we need to, we need to do it right. So any more questions or comments? We're about out of time. Well, thank you for being here today. Uh, enjoy, enjoy the comments, and we all learn from each other. Uh, Robert is going to pick up Chapter 6 next week, so if you want to read ahead and uh, do a little study there, would would be great. But uh, you're dismissed. Thank you. <laughs>